Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, we are now at the point in our reloading to the extreme adventure, where we actually are going to be reloading some ammunition. A couple little notes here. This sound is not brought to you by MC Ryan, and it's not brought to you by me this time either. It's actually brought to you by MC Eric. He's back there right now doing the knobs and stuff. So thanks to MC Eric. And we're in a different location. We haven't actually done a podcast here yet at the workbench and got our whole setup in front of us. We went through earlier with Mr. Muckinern, who's joining Mark and I here, all of the things that are needed to start reloading, the actual physical items. If you haven't heard that yet, go back and check it out. And now we're actually here. We're not using exactly the kit that we mentioned before. We discussed in our sort of mid-tier a, a Lee kit, but there are other ones out there. This, in this case, is the Hornady Lock and Load, or Locked and Loaded, I believe it Lock is. Lock and Load. Kit. And we're going to be loading up some 6.5 Credimore. Yes. Or Creedmore, if you're not as fancy. So, and then... <laughs> <laughs> if you're not as the Critomore is the the French version right, of right. the cartridge. Now this is this still falls, Jim, under kind of like that that intermediate scale. If we're gonna go like yeah. ultra simple, kind of moderately simple, complex, and then kind of we had like the big Mac Daddy of them all. So we're right, still, we're kind of still that in that middle ground. Still here. a single stage press here. We have a couple of other bells and whistles. If you're watching on YouTube right now, you'll see some other things on the table. Uh, actually, not all of them we used. So realistically speaking, if we were using that original Lee kit that we had mentioned, uh, the classic 50th anniversary, I believe it was, or something along those lines, that had everything that you needed in it. Then anyway, so there's some slight differences here, but still, uh, we pretty much did it exactly how we would have explained it on that previous podcast. But like I said, we're going to load up some ammo here. We have... Ryan Muckenhern joining us on the press. And Ryan, what do we have here? Because I know a few of the things, unfortunately, we're not going to be doing semi-live, most notably the actual tumbling process. Right. So right? The, the cleaning and the prep of the brass. Brass prep is kind of like, I think, the longest requirement of time in this entire process, right? So, and, and namely cleaning it. So we could do some B-roll footage of the Frankfurt Arsenal uh, stainless steel media tumbler rolling for two and a half hours. If folks want to see that, maybe not. And so once that's <laughs> once that's done, ASMR of just a <laughs> tumbler going yeah. for an extended period of time. <laughs> it looks it looks like a washing machine. Um, it's really cool. Uh, so right now we've we've gotten past that point. Um, I, for the sake of time, have also prepped some cases, and we'll go through resizing, depriming, trimming, chamfering, and deburring. Here with some of the convenience tools that we got. Um, and then we'll we'll jump into the loading process of actually seating primers, powdering, and then bulleting the the cases, um, which is all you know going to be in in real time and yeah. the way it should be. Quick question for you on yeah. the tumbling. Now, when we chatted with Ryan Hay and Tony Paulskill and Nick Loffenberg on the last one of the series, they mentioned with a stainless steel tumbler, if you let it go too long, it can actually start to. Uh, they just they mentioned almost like. A, for like a better term, like trumpet out the top of the neck. Is that something, to, I don't, am I not using the, probably the proper terms? It but. could, but like a whole bunch of things would have to happen the wrong way to have that happen. 
And I have not personally experienced that. I don't let them go for a very long time. It does not take a long time at all. In fact, two and a half hours is probably a really long time. Yeah. Um, and I think if you read the the manual in the Frankfurt or, or in the Thumbler's Tumbler, which is another really common one, you, you know, most of the run times are in that hour and a half to two and a half hour, uh, depending on the quantity of brass you have, the caliber of brass you have or style. Cool. Um, I've not experienced that myself. I've been really happy with mine. It's it's tumbled me a lot of cases. So, Noted. Yeah. Noted. All right. So what do we do? We have all this stuff here. I got to say, I felt good when I was chatting with you about everything that we needed. Mark, you know, we're chatting about all the stuff we needed. And I felt good when Nick and Tony and Ryan were like, yeah, this is what you got to do for testing and all. Now it's all laying out in front of me, and I'm starting to get that uneasy feeling again because... It's all very real. It is at this point. It's all real. We're actually going to do this. Now. You, yeah. What, what do we? Do? What do we do, Ryan? So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've assembled. We've assembled. Um, you know what is required to to pull off hand loading, right? We've got a quality press. We've got quality dies. We've got case prep equipment. We've got a, a fantastic powder measure. We've got a couple of different types of powder. Um, we've got a few loads that we've talked about uh, already. Uh, just going with it today, and we're going to bring them to the range and test them. So. So this is it. This is the amassment of equipment required, components required, and the means to execute. Okay. So, yeah. Where do you want me to start? What Wait. did you do first to this? Is this brass that's sitting in this little red thing, is that already this is ready prepped. to load? Prepped and ready to rock. What, what did you do to get that there? Do we have one that's unprepped? We do. That, like, we've we've got a variety, yeah. Take two and a half hours no. to... So in my hands here, for those of you watching on, on this camera, I've got a, a prepped case and an unprepped case. And really the biggest difference is on the exterior dimensions, the prepped case has been run through the sizing die. So it's been reshaped so that it fits the chamber dimensions correctly and okay. accurately. This is a case as it's been fired, you know, taken out, and, and as you would see it if you picked it up off the, the range floor. Um, so the primer is still in place Versus the primer is knocked out, and you can see there I've gone and cleaned the primer pockets too, um, so they're good and, oh, yeah, and clean. Yeah. And then the case mouths on this one is prepped. You can see it's got a nice chamfer, a nice bevel. Oh, and it's um, nice and circular. Yep, and then this one is is just as fired. It, it may be dinged from the ejection of that or, okay. or striking the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so in all of this what process... If, what if? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but sometimes yeah. I've seen unprepped cases where they have a little dent in the main body, the bigger, fatter body of the actual case. Is that an issue? It can be depending on it. Like this prepped case has a very small ding right. in it, and okay. it's that's pretty aesthetic. I'm not terribly concerned about it. If, you know, a lot of bench rest shooters and the really anal retentive guys might pull that out and segregate it. A dent like that is is cosmetic um, in my experience. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a large dent or if it's into the shoulder process on the case, then it's then it's something I'm like, absolutely not. I discard it. Okay. Um, because we, we get into a situation there where is that dent a crease? Is, does that crease have a crack at the bottom of it? Are we potentially touching off 41 and a half grains of H4350 that it has now a, a segue to escape the case other than the bullet mouth? Okay. Um, so we don't want to do that. But great question. Inspect your, inspect your cartridges when you, when you pick them up. Uh, look for case mouth cracks. Look for dents. Look for stretch, mar stretch marks and, and fractures, things like that. Mark. Can I ask a question? Please. I oftentimes hear the term fire-formed brass. Yeah. So what are they talking about there? Yes. Um, so fire-forming, like I have a couple, or, or now I currently have one in the past, I've had a couple of Ackley cartridges um, or unique cartridges like a Weatherby cartridge um, that have a, like a, a strange shoulder profile. Um, and let's speak to like the Ackley-style cases. So if we, if we have an Ackley cartridge they, or Ackley-improved cartridge, 
the the case comes from an existent case, like in my in my example here, two eighty Ackley is what I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it comes from the two eighty Remington, uh, which you know looks very much like its larger brother and father or father, excuse me, the thirty out six, just a smaller bullet diameter. When we fire form, we're actually going to use the um, the explosion of the powder to push the case to fill a different chamber dimension and fill that case out into a completely new shape. So the 280 Ackley has a sharper shoulder angle, a, like a much more prominent angle if you look at it, and then the body taper, um, or from the, the case web to the case neck, uh, is being blown out and the case becomes very square, as opposed to having that long taper that we're accustomed to on cartridges like 30 out 6 270, 280. So it gets blown out and it's a whole new shape, and you do it by firing either factory-loaded 280 Ackley ammo, or excuse me, factory-loaded 280 Remington ammo in a 280 Ackley chamber, or you come up with a, quote, fire-forming load, which a lot of guys will use like an inexpensive full metal jacket bullet or a, a, just a, a bullet that they need to push down the barrel and pop that case out. Okay. With my weather... They, they don't... They just... What? They just shoot it? They're not trying to hit anything? No, and no, really. Is so, that safe to be shooting? It well, sounds yeah, weird to put a... Right. Like a bullet yeah. in a chamber that it's not made for. Oh, yeah. So My it, 270 fits in the OT-6. It'll be fine. <laughs> don't do so, that. Hashtag fire form it. I don't know. Yeah. So, and I've seen, I, I've seen, I've seen that actually. So, uh, I've seen guys shoot 300 wind mags and 300 Weatherbees, um, which isn't a good deal. Don't do that. But it, you're using you're using the explosion of the uh, the powder to reshape the case to fit a new chamber dimension, and they have to be very similar. So, like a 280 and a 280 Ackley are very close together. Gotcha. Um, okay. With my 300 Weatherby, uh, when the cartridge was conceived, it has a radius shoulder. So when we look at a 6.5 Creedmoor or a 308 or, or a conventional bottleneck rifle cartridge, we see an angled or a, you know a sharp shoulder, very defined and prominent shoulder. There was a 300 Weatherby or any of the Weatherby cartridges, for the most part, will have this radius there. Mm. And and I like think, a Hemi, yeah, like a Hemi. That's why, right? Um, I think the concept that's exactly there, what I was thinking, Jim. <laughs> I think the concept there was that they they called this a Venturi shoulder, and we're we're familiar with the Venturi in a carburetor, mm-hmm. how it swirls the air-fuel mixture and allows for, you know, a better air-fuel mixture, yeah, and ultimately yeah. better burning. That was the concept behind the Venturi shoulder on the Weatherby, is it would swirl the, the powder and the burning propellant at that time and have a more even and hmm. effective... More burn. like powder burning at the same time rather than it, like, doing kind of this fizzle all the yeah. way up or something like that. And and whether it works or not is highly debated. I think a lot of people say, no, it's it's with modern propellant technology, probably not. I'll tell you this, it's a monster of a cartridge. I really enjoy it anyways. But I do fire form it. Um, and that's to form that unique shoulder uh, and neck profile to hmm. my chamber in my rifle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question, Mark. Okay. Yeah. So... Any back to the to the case prep here yeah. and, and whatnot. So what would we do to this? Like, do you tumble it before you do this part? Yep. Then? So yep. this is, is assuming this has already been tumbled. Yeah. What happens now? So these cases obviously fired. They still have their primers in them. They've been cleaned and they've been lubricated, and that's a big part. Lubrication. You do oh, yeah. not want to take a case that has not been unlubed and run it into your die because you run the risk of sticking a case. And with an expensive pair of dies, it can ruin your die if you can't extract the case, um, or it can stop you, you know, and halt your progress yeah. immediately. Hey, did I ruin our little Lee Classic uh, hammer loader thing? Uh, any chance? I don't know. If you I know. have not had a chance to tear that apart yet. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure I might have. We'll find out anyway yeah. for this exact reason. So don't do what I did. Case lube is important. Couple questions on case lube. Yes. 
what are you using? Yep. And additionally, is it only on the exterior of the case yep. or does it actually get into the case as well? Well, it depends on what you use. And that's a really good question. So I, I use a variety myself. What we have here today is Hornady's one-shot case lube, which is a really cool kind of an aerosol application uh, that you spray on and then it, it dries. It leaves you with a dry film lubricant. Um, the cases are dry to the touch. They feel very slippery, but they're they're dry. There's no residue. Um, I really like one shot. Um, at, at, my, at my home, I actually make my own case lubricant out of pure lanolin and 99% isopropyl. That makes his own case lubricant. Uh, it, it's, it's very similar concept. You spray it on. It takes a very, very conservative amount to make it work. Um, after a short while, the isopropyl dries off and you, you end up with perfectly lubricated cases. Uh, in that application, some may get into the case mouth. It's not going to hurt anything. If you're going to use like a, a paste or a wax or um, a liquid case lube, it's better to be uh, conservative than, than liberal with that application. If you get too much case lube on your cases, when you load them, that liquid has nowhere to go. So it's going to follow the path it's of hydraulic. least... hydraulic. Exactly. And you get a hydraulic deformation of your case. And so you pull your case out and you're like, what happened? And it'll look like it's been moon cratered. Mm. Um, and that's where that goes up in there. Usually happens on the shoulder profile of the case um, or the body. It'll dent down. You have too much lubricant on that part. And then when it goes up into that that dye, like that, that liquid goes into a solid state and punches your case. Um, so I generally like the self-dry or the drying type agents. They, they do a better job. And if you accidentally, quote unquote, put too much on there, it's not as big a detriment. Cool. But lubricate the case. Uh, so I have these dyes preset. Yeah, so, so yeah. We've been we've been doing this for a little while here. When you get your your reloading press, whatever it is, consult the manual first and foremost. Most of them will tell you about setting up a die on a single stage press. The idea is is we screw the die down far enough that when the ram is brought to full um, extension, you contact the bottom of the die and with slight force, cam over. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's watching there, you can see where I get to the bottom, it stops, and then pops. This is normal function. Um, this is going to ensure that the case gets sized completely throughout the entirety of the body down to the web. Yeah. So very important. You don't want to short set your seating, or excuse me, your resizing die. This particular die also serves another function of decapping. So we're going to knock out our old primer. And all that does is it uses a little steel stem um, that floats in here, and it just boop, punches that right out through the flash hole. Cool. Uh, not important with 6.5 Creedmoor, but for those of you who might be reloading, say, 308 um, or other various cartridges that may have been used like through, through military loading, make sure you check your primers. If you have the non-reloadable kind, you'll notice that it'll have two flash holes. You can see this through the case mouth. Don't run that on your die. You'll break your, or excuse me, your uh, decapping stem. You'll break your, your decapping pin. Um, so this conventionally primed case will will knock out just Might fine. Might that be a thing in the future with 6.5 Creedmoor? Now that I, I doubt it. Most of that stuff's Eastern block, um, oh, okay. and most of it's now rather antiquated, or, you know, antiquated, so we don't see that kind of thing anymore. But. I was going to say, is there an advantage to a non-reloadable, or is it just no. a different way that it's <laughs> right. been done? It's 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 infrequent. I almost thought not to mention it, but okay. ultimately somebody's going to run into it. For funsies. Right. So I have these dies set. I have the appropriate shell holder. That is this device on the reloading press. 99% of single-stage presses use a fairly universal shell holder. Um, yeah, they, in fact, I think that's the one from the Lee kit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they are they are specific to the case head and, and rim diameter. So there's a lot of cartridges that share this case head. So this shell holder would work with 
308, 300 Savage, 250 Savage, Ot 6, 270, 280 Ackley, so on and so forth. Anything that has that common case head diameter. So you just put it in there. I have a lubricated case with a primer in it. We run it up into the die. We feel that resistance. Yep, a little primer shot out. Yep. And we pull it down. And now we inspect. And we can see that now the case mouth has been rounded. Yeah. We can see that there's definitely been some movement um, on the case body uh, of the shoulder, very subtle. The primer pocket is now empty. Yep. You can see there's some residue in it's there from dirty, the empty from that primer crud. And that's it. So we've got a resized, deprimed case. So now we're back to kind of step one yeah. in, the, in the loading process. And you process. would normally do, do you normally, with a single stage press, I'm imagining that you would probably do this step to a bunch of... Car of, uh, what am I trying to say? Cases. Cases, yep. You do that step a bunch of times and then eventually switch over your die to the next step and then yep. do that step a bunch of times so yep. you're not switching all the time. So with most bottleneck rifle cartridges, you're going to get a two-die set, maybe a three depending on what it is and if it's fancy. Um, with this, we've got the, the Hornady match grade dies. Um, it's two-die set, amazing die quality. I'm very happy with it myself. So, yeah, I would do like 50 or 100 of these in a batch. Cool. And Tony had talked about that too, loading in lots. Yes. Whatever you do, just commit to it, right? And with the brass prep, I mean, you can do quite a bit more of those um, at a time and, and be okay with, like, pulling from that lot. If you do 500, you don't necessarily have to load 500 that you've just resized. Right. So a lot of times I resize a whole bunch of brass if I have the time, um, and then it's just resized, deprimed brass that I can then prime later and go from there. So... Uh, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's say we've got a whole bucket of these and they're ready to rock. So they've been resized, they've been deprimed. Now they have to be, uh, I think, what we'll call prepped or trimmed, chamfered, deburred, and the primer pocket cleaned. So there's a whole variety of methods that we can use to clean, or excuse me, trim and chamfer and deburr. We've got manual devices that have hand cranks on them, like this Hornady here. There's a variety of power units. There's even some very rudimentary units. In fact, Lee makes a cool one that hooks to the the press that you actually use the die port to, to use. There's well, even that came some in that 50th anniversary or whatever. Yeah, kit. yeah, yep. There's even some that are a simple metal gauge that you put the case in. Um, you make sure that it's in there all the way. You flip it over and you use a file and you draw off the top amount of brass. Hmm. Very crude, still effective. We're just trimming a case to size. What As, about this thing, though? So this is pretty cool. This is a really is this neat... The, is this what you're going to use yeah, for this next this step? Yeah, is, this is what we're going to use. So again, we want to... You want to trim your brass if you're shooting rifle, because a lot of times it'll grow when you shoot it. Some doesn't. Um, it, it's a good thing to check. You know, there's there's published data on trim to lengths, uh, you know, all over the reloading manuals and the, the manufacturer's websites and, and then, of course, the Internet. Um, so this, without any further ado, is a really neat trimmer. This is uh, made by a guy named Dale Hegstrom. He owns a company called Little Crow Gunworks. He's out of Spicer, Minnesota. Um, this is called the World's Finest Trimmer. Uh, this is the Rev 2. He makes two types, the WFT-1 and the WFT-2. The WFT-2 is my preference because I can actually change the calibers that I'm going to be trimming by simply popping a collet out and readjusting the body of the uh, trimming device to fit uh, the appropriate trim two length. So again, this, mm. this is already preset for 6.5 Creedmoor. You can see right there on the collet says 6.5 oh, CM. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really simple. He's got a really uh, nice high-speed cutter in there. Um, this is a, a, a really neat thing. You just put it in. You're just hand-holding it. Yep, you just hold it in your hand, and you just... On reverse. Or no, that's on, nope, on forward. regular forward. And it's trimmed. <laughs> 
So it that's seems it. so. Wait, did you did it bottom out yep. when it was at the proper? Correct. So huh. that's it. When you put it in, oh, on the on the neck or on the shoulder. Yep, I it trims it, it trims off of the shoulder. Oh, which is, okay. That's what I didn't. I was like, how do you know when to stop? Yep, you yeah. can feel it. So you can you can actually feel it when it does it. That's you can awesome. see it too when you look at a case mouth, and I'll have you guys do it just so you can get a, a feel for it. When you look at a case mouth when it's untrimmed, um, usually it's dirty and and dull. And oh, then when sure. you see it's trimmed, it's, yeah, it's much it's stuff. much more brilliant. Um, so we'll quick resize two cases here. Mark, give it a shot. I'm gonna. And we're using the Greenlee drill here. Ryan yep. was explained to us that uh, Greenlee is a fine drill manufacturer. So this is a power tool. So push it in there. Make sure you hold on to it with your fingers. There you go. And give it a spin. And you'll feel resistance, and then it'll go slack. That's it. Did you, you get it for it, good Mark. measure. Just zip, zip for fun. Is it trimmed? Yeah, I got it like a little burr in there, though. That happens. That's part of the process. That's why we have to deburr. Bingo. Things, right? How satisfying was that? It looked very. Satisfying. It looked satisfying. In, I'd say very. In terms of in, there. in terms get... of case prep, I, I, this is phenomenal for yeah. folks listening. I, there, there is no better product to do this. Um, there's some power trimmers that <laughs> are, are very expensive and bench mounted and super fast, and they actually do the deburr and um, chamfer process at the same time. But you're going to be spending hundreds of dollars on this. I'll tell you that the WFT2, been a fan. I've got a whole bunch of the originals um, in various cartridges and, and calibers. When the advent of the 2 came out, I hopped all over it. I've got collars for all sorts of cartridges. So That was cool. It is. It's a neat product. And you get to use power tools. So now we got a chamfer and deburr? Yeah. Or wait, do we? Yep. Chamfer and deburr. Chamfer and okay. deburr and pi- primer pocket clean. So let's, let's say we've got a whole box of these done up. Now we've resized yeah. them. We've deprimed them. We've trimmed them multitude of tools that'll work for this. this is kind of the analog method. It's uh, like a lemon juicer. It's yeah. the, uh, what you would call it. The, <laughs> yes, uh, it, it does look like a lemon juicer. Um, <laughs> you get the juicer. You get the deburr. <laughs> this is how you unlock the power of the fruit juice. All, none of the unnecessary fiber. Uh, anyway. That's, so, that's the juice tiger. Right. <laughs> the simple version of this, a deburring tool, and a lot of these reloading kits actually come with a two-in-one, mm-hmm. um, which is shown here. It, it's simple. It's a steel cutter, uh, and all we do is we just kind of work the inside of that case mouth like so, and then the outside. And you get kind of a feel for it after a while as to what is good and, and enough. Not quite as satisfying no. of a sound. Right. But see, like you said, in... Like with this one, I was like, "This feels fail safe. Can't screw that up." Like it tells you when to stop. Yep. This one, this little yep. process here, maybe not as much. Like some, you said, it's kind of by it, feel. Some of it's pretty hands on, and, and yeah, it is a feel thing. But when it's done, like it's it's unmistakable, right? You see this very nice, nice chamfer on the edge and nice deburr on the interior. You can feel with your fingers. Describe chamfer, or so, maybe yeah, uh, French word to bevel or to edge break. It's French, huh? How yeah. come we don't say chamfer or uh, whatever? I don't Chom- know. Chomfer. So light pressure, just barely. Oh. Yep, because you'll open the case mouth if you do it too hard. I might have. Might have it may that. have happened. We've got a whole bunch of them, though. That's okay. Maybe put that in the... Uh, put that in the... Uh, do, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I see. You don't need very much pressure. Nope. So brass is very soft. These How do you steel, know when to stop? It's really... You're just... You're edge breaking it. You're barely touching it. So it's like a zip, zip, and you're done. Wait. Oh, really? Yep. So don't use this one, by the way. Okay. Oh, how about that sound? That sounds right that's the, good. Right in the mic. When yep. am I done again? About now. And then inspect it. You can see that chamfer. You can see that deburred edge. Oh, sorry, Mark. Here, that's let me just, just throw some uh, some chamfers and burrs in your face. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Because like 
this would be something that I'd be worried about if right. I was Did I doing open this that process. Up? She's a little wide. Yeah, I look yeah. like it. So we'll what, put, would, we'll what would you do? Is that one just done? Yeah, make a keychain or something. Okay, fun. What yeah. would what would Already what would the result be if you're doing this process and and you did that, but you didn't know that you opened it up a little too um, much? You can mess with the neck tension a little bit. Um, if it was opened up like severely, like I don't think Jim really flared that one too bad. Right. But it might not chamber properly. You may end up with some neck tension issues. You might end up with a split neck because you're thinning that case neck wall. Yeah, so right. You're, you're removing material and it's getting thinner, 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 thinner. Okay. Um, so the analog method, which is what I did from ages like 14 to 19, and then I realized I'm not a chump anymore, went out and bought me a case trimmer very similar to – or case uh, – Prep center, very similar to this one. This thing looks like it bores into the earth. The little flip of the switch here. Tunnels. We've got we've got the chamfer and deburring tools powered, as well as a uh, a primer pocket scraper. So this one is literally as simple as just put it up there until you stop feeling it. Click click click. Put it on there until it's nice and round. Quick little visual inspection. Yep, chamfered. Yep, deburred. And then the primer pocket. Note that carbon in there. Yep. Bring it on over to the scraper. Noting the carbon. Give it a little go around, and notice how clean it is. Jiminy Christmas. And that's wow. it. That is a chamfered and deburred. Look at that thing. Cleaned case. So your case is now ready for the next step in the process, which okay. is priming. Questions the, on this? So, and just the, I guess, the pressure that you were holding, was it, is it essentially just enough to hold it in place? Yep. You're yep. not, you know, trying to. Yep. Yeah, excellent. Otherwise, question. you end up like mine, with right? Keychain, and yeah. and you can feel it. Like all, all that's happening is we're just cutting that material that got laid out to the side uh, when the uh, the cutting bit on the uh, WFT two went and pushed that in there. So we're just okay. getting rid of that. Okay. Um, one thing I like to do too is clean the case mouths. I I didn't bring my little case mouth brush, which you can buy, uh, but I like to go in there and make sure all the little brass debris got got off that case mouth uh, on the inside. You give so it a, a little look. See, yep, that's fine. Works just grand. But that's it. That's that's kind of step one through three of, of the brass prepper, one through four. Okay. So resize you just do that a couple, you know, like a hundred times. And yeah. All these steps we've previously mentioned. And now we're to the point where we have this lot of 50 that you made yep. that are ready to be essentially loaded. Yep. Right? So at this point, we're priming. And there's a there's a whole bunch of different ways you can prime. Okay. Um, I think for the shooter who's getting into this, it's a hunter or a casual target shooter. No need to go to the semi-automated systems. I, I think for a lot of the guys and gals that are out there shooting competitively where you have high volume and, and really a lot of this comes into like convenience. How quick can I load my ammo and, and spend less time on my bench and more time in the range? There are other options, hand primers or bench-mounted priming tools. You're going to increase the cost a little bit, but they are convenient. Almost every single stage press out there, with the exception of a few, have the ability to what's called press prime. Hornady's is brilliant. It's a simple little dogleg-shaped piece of steel here that hooks into a, a pin that they've pressed into the priming ram. just sits in there. And by design, it pulls itself out of the way when it's not in use, which then redirects your spent primer and puts itself in the in the way where it should be when you need to press prime. Um, I like to press prime. I, I get some, hmm. some feedback from some of my match shooting buddies that say you don't get a real good feel if the primer is seated well or not. I disagree, but possibly only because I've been press priming my whole life um, or my whole reloading life anyway. So I'm very accustomed to it. I can kind of tell when it's 
in and when it's not or when it was too deep or when it's too, you know, I don't know. I think press priming's fine for the record. So, so there's a it. way you can screw up how much you put in the primer. Uh, yeah, you can you can damage them, potentially set them off um, if you if you slam it. It's not. I don't really think it's a concern personally. I've never detonated a primer, and with a cartridge like a six five Creedmoor, we're not using brass that's had the primer pocket staked or crimped or anything like that. It, the risk is fairly well mitigated. So talking about primers real quick, there's kind of two conventional types, small and large. Um, small primer pockets can be found in like small cartridges like 221 Fireball, 22 Hornet, 223. Um, oh, 221 Fireball. That sounds like when we got to do a 10-minute talk. Huh? That's a super cool cartridge. <laughs> that's one of my favorite cartridges, actually. Um, I wanted a 17-rim Fireball for a real long time. Yeah, I never got one. Right? Mm. Um, Not a very popular cartridge, I don't think. No, but uh, regardless, small primer pockets generally reserved for small volume cases like those or for match cases. So there's there's a bunch of small pocket 308, they call it 308 Palma, and there's small pocket 65 Creedmoor. You can get it from Starline or, or Lapua. And there's some advantages to it, and there's some disadvantages to it. it I guess it really just depends on on how picky you want to be. I'll tell you this much. The folks at Hornady load some of the best factory ammo on the market. All their factory-loaded ammunition is large primer. Large primer is good enough for me, right? Okay. Um, so that's how this press is set up right now. It's got a large primer arm set in it. A note on primers. There is an up and a down, and you can screw this up. Okay. So if we are looking at the primer from the top here, you see what is called the anvil. It's that little, it almost looks like the biohazard thing. Yeah, it mm-hmm. does. That is the part that goes into the case. Yeah, um, on makes the, sense. On the, Not the part you usually see Right. when you look at the bottom of a, of a cartridge. Right. It's got red in it. Yep. It must um, be the uh, explosive or not the explosive. So I think it's a lacquer <laughs> the, uh, sealant. Oh, okay. Yeah, the explosive, the priming compound itself is just beneath the anvil. And you can see it a little bit there. It almost looks like a yellow. Oh, sure. Yep. So that's underneath the the anvil and and the foil that's in there. The primer cup itself, the part that's struck by the by the firing pin, um, you know, looks exactly like it would on on your loaded case. If you flip a loaded case over, that's the way you should orient your primers. Be mindful when you're handling primers too. You don't want to touch the inside, you know, where that anvil is or anything like that, because oil on your fingers or residue or anything can can compromise that. That is one argument for the hand priming or the bench press tools um, is there's less manipulation or less contamination factor to the priming uh, step. Um, I think if you're, if you're conscientious of it, you'll be okay. Um, okay. Like I said, I've never had a misfire due to primers, but um, it can happen. Uh, so when we're priming uh, and we're using the press, there's a little bit of finesse involved. Uh, the biggest thing is, is getting the primer into the primer cup on the priming arm of your press. So you can just set it in there and it's good. Be mindful when you're putting it in that it's oriented the right direction, that it's seated all the way. From there, we're just going to lift the primer, or excuse me, the ram arm up a little bit so that the priming arm is away from this. We can slide the case on. Get ready to check that. We're still using the same die? So at this point in time, we're just priming. It doesn't actually have a die function. But it's still got that little ramrod in there that we ordinarily punch the primer out. That's That's, okay. That's not going to be an issue? Nope. You'll see we're going to actually work the press backwards. So instead what? of running the ram up, we're going to run the ram forward. Oh, na- yeah. yeah, okay, I get oh. it. So we can we can see here in, in uh, articulating the the uh, press arm here, the ram moving up and down. Yeah, it indexes it, against the actual like uh, press frame, yeah. and then pushes it right up in there. Yep, you'll you'll notice that 
that priming arm goes away, it hides. So we put that case in place and we make sure it's all the way to the back of the wall so that the uh, flash, or excuse me, the primer cup is aligned then with that priming arm. I bring it down. You see how it engaged that case and the case kind of flopped? Yep. And then it's just slight pressure forward until you stop. And that's it. Lift it up. We have a primed case. Look at that. Yep. Look at that. So it's, it's light resistance. It's not a ton. We're not pushing hard. Um, it's, not, it's not something to like, be overly concerned with. You know, you're, not trying to, you're not trying to slam gears on an 18-wheeler here. Um, so just in and press. Good to go. I mean, it's almost like I feel, or just even just looking at it, and from what I could hear and see in that arm, it's like it gives or goes yep. and then just, just stops. Chunk, stops. Yep. Like, um, don't need no more, no less. Nope. You can get into a pretty good pace with this when you're goofing around uh, on your on your table and your bench and you're working with it. You get you get a feel. Try to seat your primers as and consistently as possible. Most of the brass that you buy in the market nowadays has really consistent pocket depth. So a pocket that's too deep, it's going to seat your primer deeper. Your firing pin may not reach it or it may not hit it with a full velocity and it may not torch it off. You know, on the adverse side of that, if it's too shallow, then your primer pockets or your primer's proud when you seat it, and it, you yeah. can end up piercing it, which is a catastrophic thing too. Oh, um, really? Catastrophic if you pierce it? Yeah, you pierce your primer. Um, you get what all does that, that. Leave room for ex- explosion to happen backwards. Um, so usually, it's not necessarily as much of an explosion as is a jetting of gases that like comes out. That's if you look at your bolts on most modern rifles, you have gas relief vents on most of them um, or they have a channel on the bolt face that allow gas to vent okay. on the side oh yeah um, okay it's not like it's game over you go to the er necessarily but you don't want to pierce a primer it's a great way to end your range session uh potentially um, from like poisoning or something? no just mechanically i mean we're putting that gas volume back into your primer um you know, or into your firing pin channel, you can blow particulate and pieces of the primer in there, seize the gun up. The oh, primer can blow out. Now I'm getting it. Okay. Well, yeah. I'd imagine also your bullet's not, not doing... It's not doing what it should, yeah. yeah. So one thing I, I do want to talk about with priming. So I thought I had a good seat on that one, and I, I, I almost subconsciously do this when I'm press priming. I took the case off the off the arm and I flip it over and I run my finger over the top of it because I'm trying to check and see if that primer is proud or if it's set in there right. And it did not seat all the way. So I'm going to reseat that primer and you can feel it when you run your finger over the top, you can feel that that primer is kind of sticky Audi versus flush. It's an Audi. Yep. You know, I almost like feel like it's at, even at, I can see the, almost like it's in at an angle a little bit on one side. And it could be, yeah, I'm, I'm going to reseat it, but feel this one. This one here is a, a well-seated primer. Oh, sorry, Jim. Oh, yeah. See this in here? Yeah, yep. I can feel the difference. Yep. So yeah. you want to make sure that those are seated completely and not proud. We don't want proud primers. And so, so by just, re- you just gave her a little bit, yep. another go, oh. and uh-oh. Drop that one. Just a casual little drop of prime. Yep. And so now yes. it's well seated and flush with the top. There she so is. just a little just a little dab will do you, and you're okay. May I? Yeah, please. Get in there, Mark. Here, I'm going to walk in front of you because we've got cords. We haven't gone wireless yet. Mm-hmm. Trying to, like you said, so, these little buggers are... Little buggers. There is. I'll oh, go this see. way. No, I already even touched them oh, a little nope. too much. All right, well, we'll just Hold go like on. this. That's right, Mike's got it. Mark's got it. Take a seat at the old, uh, the see, old station. I've already got her in it. That's okay. There angle. you go. Okay. Now, where were you pulling from uh, over here, Ryan? So I'm going down the row. So that one is not primed, so prime that one. So you're going to have to lift. You're going to take a seat at the chair. There you go. Sit in the old Ooh, reloader's into chair, the cockpit. Mark. You're going to slide that in. 
You're going to push it all the way to the back of that. There you go. And then just bring it down. You'll feel that tension as you push that forward. And boop, you're there. And then just slight tension forward. And that's it. I wanted to yell bang so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So flip it over and give her the old finger check. Make sure it's not proud. A little proud? A little bit. Just give it a little, little, just a little, little kiss on there. Nope, you're out of the groove there. There you go. Get back in. Perfect. All the way back. Just that, yeah, there you go. That little extra hip thrust <laughs> ought to do it. I don't know, Ryan. Good to go. Okay. 100%. Just you're phenomenal. fine. Yeah. Mark, that was exceptional. We did it, everybody. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> That's good. Thank I'll, you. I'll I just wanted to do one. Here. Well done. Well no, done, that was, Mark. That was good. You're going to be doing a whole heck of a lot more because I don't know what the round count is at the extreme, but... Uh, need about 160 between us plus you know enough to do all the side in all that good stuff so you got a couple few 200 couple few yeah two 250 like your conservative approach yeah, Mark. then we also got to test it out of the range so that's gonna happen yeah and ryan this is what you said you you uh in your reloading room you've got this all set up with uh you know the tv and and all that stuff get your netflix in during your reloading so by reloading room you mean you mean house because i live in a tiny little box so yeah i just kind of look across (laughs) across the room mark's been there he's seen it It oh it's lovely it looks uh sounds lovely you don't know what to think when you walk in you're like okay what's this guy got going on back here in the hills uh, but yeah. By the way, I agree with everything in your manifesto. <laughs> oh my god, that's the best thing that's ever been said on the Vortex Nation podcast. Uh, yeah, so that's it. Press priming is really easy, yep. and you don't have to go out and buy a fancy priming device now, to get up and running. God, and you just people do this hand priming thing. Yeah. This this I can't envision it in my head. So the because hand, it, it sounds like they're just squeezing over and over and over, but I'm confused as to where the cases are going in. So and you still have to you have to manually input the case and then okay. take it off when it's done. But the priming mechanism on a hand primer is just a. It looks like a hole puncher. Or something, exactly right? is what it looks like. It has like the same kind of feel to it, right? So I'd be curious. So like you said, you know, I guess you, obviously I know very little about this, but I would think over time, perhaps though, like with hand fatigue. Because that's what some of those guys were talking. About. Oh man, my you know your hand after a while, so you might not be pushing it in as far. Right? Yeah. 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 You could probably I mean, have to be more. I mindful mean, you could, but if you, I mean, check your work. Yeah. True. I think a lot of I think a lot of reloading for a lot of people is off putting because they they fear the unknown and we're dealing with a small explosive and they think like this is how I die and I I don't yeah definitely I, yeah. I don't think here. I don't think that's necessarily the case. So there's there's not a lot to goof up in that. So long as your primers don't stick out, you've got them oriented the right direction, and you've got you know the right powder in your case, you should be okay, right? Right. So. On your uh, Dylan, that yeah. progressive yep. thing, which would be essentially with the pull of a lever, be doing a bunch of these steps we're going to be discussing all at once in different stations, different bullets. It's it's quite incredible. I'm segregating this one because I'm not able to get that seated without oh, a, sure. without, undue, without undue resistance. Oh, yeah, that's really punking. Yeah. So either the primer pocket is a little bit large um, or there's a burr in it or the primer is slightly oversized. That, would you just, well, what if you just... Uh, reversed ordered? Yeah, would you just run this through the depriming um, thing or I, can you do that when the primer is live? You can. What I personally do is I liquidate the primer with a drop of water or I fill the case with water and then I kill that primer. And then that way, when I do this, by putting water in it. Oh, just by putting water in it, you killed it. Correct. So when I I 
if you can imagine, primers have a, a lot of force. Sometimes we'll just take a primed case and we'll just shoot it in the range. It's like bang, like a gun. It's very loud. They're very powerful. I've done that with like my muzzle loader. Yeah, just but shot it, a primer in it without a charge. Imagine more juice than that. Really? Um, yeah, they're pretty hot. Well, shotgun primers are pretty hot too, but. I do not want a primer going off when I have it hooked to things that can increase pressure. So that's not that's uh, that's fair. Yeah, that makes that's, sense. That's not a good that's not a good way to lose an eye. Uh, I mean, it is a good way to lose an There's eye. There's a but number was, of good ways to lose an eye. <laughs> that one's kind no, of on, the, on the lower. Yeah, end of I'd the skip that. I mean, if it's um, pirate related activity, that's one thing. But that this right, is just right. a yeah. I mean, something to be said about being a pirate. Yes. Your eye. But that's that's like the gist of of press priming. All right. Yep. So yeah, that's uh, that's it. You want so, and back to the the Dylan yeah, thing. Yeah. So that thing is pretty fancy. Mm-hmm. I, what am I trying to say? We're we're reloading right now, single stage, partly for the economy of it of having the single stage setup rather than mm-hmm. going with the crazy, uh, more expensive setup. But also for some reason in my head, and I don't know if this is all placebo or whatever the word would be. The single stage seems like you could be more precise with it. Is it. Do you reload like anything precision on your Dylan with a progressive loader where it's doing a bunch of stuff all at once, or or do you only reserve um, the precision stuff for your single stage where you know, you're going to be really concentrating on one route at a time, or does it not really matter? So I've done precision loads on my 650 or what I would call my precision three-gun loads, so... I mean, the word precision is somewhat subjective there. Okay. If they shoot under three-quarter minute, they're pretty darn good for the ranges that we shoot a three-gun. But I don't do any, like, big game hunting or match loads on it. I don't think that's to say that you can't, though. And, in fact, our good friend Scott Parks, who's, who's one of the most accomplished reloaders I've ever met, um, I had the joy of helping Scott move into his new house with all his reloading stuff, and it was impressive. Um, he loads on his 650s. He has 650s set up for... His match cartridges. Oh, okay. And right. he does he does varying steps on them. So, like he's not necessarily resizing, depriming on that press. He's using a single stage to do that. Oh, okay. And there's a number of different reasons for that, but he claims no harm, no foul, no loss. It's all good. My 650 loaded ammo shoots as good as my single stage loaded ammo. Um, and, and I've heard that from a number of people. We've, we've got a lot of uh, customers of ours that we chat with on the daily that we, in, you know, inevitably get into the con- or the conversation of reloading, and they mention that hey, heck, we load on a on a Dylan 650 as well, um, and that's no problem, or a 550 or something to that like. Hmm. I heard that one. Yep. Ryan. Yeah, we just had a retiree. Yep. Oh, this one's really sticking out. This one's sticking out even more than the other one. You can yeah. really see that thing. Yeah, that one is. It's a little unusual. I, I've I've had that happen so infrequently, and I'm almost wondering if this primer pocket cleaner on this thing might have put a little digger in there, and so there's a burr of brass. I when I use a primer pocket cleaner, um, it's usually my stainless steel media or it's a brush. So this is not a brush. This is a scraper, and I thought about that when I was putting this all together, and I thought, eh, I don't know, I've never used a scraper. I've only used a brush. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that scraper just moved a little material um, that. That snagged that up. Left when kinda. I was watching you put the primer pocket on there, I mean, I could see the case almost... Uh, Reorient? Yeah, like, it wasn't like, uh, I guess when we were with this, it was very, like, concentric, like, like and with the, it was like there was like a warble to it, I mm-hmm. guess, if you will. Yeah, look, these can't even sit, just can't even sit flush on the table. They wobble all around because the primer's sticking out so much. Right. And that could be. 
So that's one thing to note too. I, I prefer a brush as opposed to a scraper, but the scraper is what we had in the kit. Um, that's what we're going for. So, okay. I got to say my, uh, my mind's starting to calm down again a little bit now. Sure. Cause at first when I saw all this stuff laying out on the table, I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. And, and I still, after we get, you know, I assume Ryan, once we prime all of these, by the way, MC Ryan's back in the house. So MC Eric, oh. uh, you went, part, back, your went back to his desk. Substitution. Thanks. We'll, uh, Oh, hit record. We'll, we'll hit mail record, you, Ryan. We'll mail you the check. What was I saying? Oh, so I'd imagine once we do this primer section here, mm-hmm. Ryan, we'll then what be putting powder. We'll be pow- we'll be powdering up. Wow. Yep, it's getting real, fellas. That's it. So right now we're at like the uh, we're at like the warm up stage. Uh, you are approaching the starting line. Your vehicle is on. You're so. all getting uh, an idea too of how about how long it takes to single stage primer about fifty cartridges. Yep. It's so not it's, it primary, it's, what, priming. Yeah, priming. Yeah, okay. it's not it's not that arduous a process. No, um, it's just it doesn't take that long. Uh, just be deliberate. You know, take your time. Just right, before we get down, we got five of these left. Let me give let me give one of these a shot after Ryan does this this guy here. I go from the side. There we go. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah, that's right. If you go from the top, it seems like they're front row. So lift down the a little, little bit. bit. Slide that in there. Index it all the way. Push down. That's Give it. her the beans. Bam. That was perfect. That was. And then just do that little touch test. That was good. Whammy. Whammy. Well, we might as well have got four left here. Right, so if we... Yeah, okay. I can see where some people say this could be like, could be therapeutic to just be doing over and over and over. Do you ever find yourself like having to catch yourself going on autopilot a little bit? Like, you, like where you're just, you're going, you're going, you're going, and then kind of like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't really. Like, you ever been driving down the road? And uh, I almost even hate to admit this, but you ever been driving down the road and you sort of snap out of it, whatever it is, and you're like, wow, I don't remember actually the last three miles. I could have driven right by Godzilla, wouldn't even notice. <laughs> I do. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Um, especially when I'm, I'm doing large volumes of nine, because that goes so fast. Like, it's, it's about 950 rounds an hour. Holy man. Um, so, like, yeah, you're getting into the groove of things, and then you're like... Oh shoot! Did did I check for powder on what those last ones? Is it right? <laughs> um, I mean, I think with anything, any once you get proficient with something, you, you know, you get more accustomed to the lackadaisical approach. Um, it's not. I, I've never, like I said, aside from I had one case failure on a um, on a press, and that was due to a long long drop. We talked about that that drop tube issue that I had. That's right, the, right, that's right. the only incident I've ever ever had. Quite an incident to be your only it one. It was a doozy. Uh, yeah. I know some guys have done some pretty radical stuff um, on some of the progressive tube or presses. They'll have like a primer tube. So you'll put several hundred primers in it. And oh, that sounds like a yeah. recipe for fun. And uh, there's a lot of force in the primers. And inadvertently, somehow they managed to explode all of them. So they chain reaction and like blew the assembly into the roof uh, or into the shed ceiling. Uh, I, I don't know how one gets to that point, but nonetheless, he did. Um, I think he actually did <laughs> it a, likes that. a couple of times. So yeah, aside from a couple that the, the primer pockets uh, were a little 
malformed from that scraper. So we got about what forty eight. Yeah, these are these are ready to be powdered. So the powder is something. Now. Yeah, the powder. Oh, does that mean we're going to move over to this super sensitive scale? Yeah, we're this thing move is over crazy. This. It's pretty wild. I'm really impressed with it too. Um, I've been a, a RCBS Charge Master fifteen hundred guy for a long time. It's an amazing tool. It loads quickly. It loads efficiently. Uh, I think if Don't it's it. if it's out of your budget, um, the the new Frankfurt Arsenal is is a really cool product. This IntelliDropper, like I said, I'm floored with it. I think it's great. What's incredible to me, and if you're watching on YouTube, wondering what the heck I'm doing right now, it's it's got this it's got this digital readout on the front of it, and it tells you when it's stable. And if you just wave your hand over it, the air the turbulence around it is enough to throw it off stable. It's wild. There nope. you go. Totally screwed Boom. it up. Totally screwed it up by about 0.4 grains Which is of air. a lot. That is a lot. What are these, what are these little like? So those are cal- like? calibration weights. They're 50 Calibr- gram weights, and you use it when you're doing the initial setup. Oh, um, okay. And you can, you know, check your accuracy with it. I checked it against uh, another scale that we have here, and uh, everything's good. Um, it's a cool, it's a cool powder drop. Uh, so it's really affordable too. Like I said, the uh, the technology for a long time was something that was unattainable to a lot of shooters. It wasn't something they were interested in because of that price. And then you're doing things a much more manual way. Whereas this one is is as such that when you drop powder, you dump it into your case. You can pretty much take that case, put your bullet in it, and the next case is ready to dump powder. Hmm. So it's it's very rapid. So actually, let's let's back up a little bit. We're gonna get to the we're going to get to the powder drop here in a little Sorry, bit. No, that's okay. I, I forgot a thing. And we talked about that because I knew I'd forget. Cool feature on the Hornady presses, and this is everything from their um, their you know single stages to their progressives. They've pioneered this amazing um, thing they call the lock and load bushing system, which is an interrupter thread uh, that's O-ringed, and it's a, this neat little collet that you put around your standard 7-8 dies, screws into your press. You can even get adapters for your other presses. So I have this on my, my RCBS single stage. A quarter turn, and the die comes out. Now, earlier, we set this die for depth and and dimension, and you lock it in place with a locking collet around the body of the die, uh, which is really cool. So this die we can now take and we could put back in our die box if I hadn't moved that away. And then we remove our seating die, or excuse me, install our seating die. And this was also preset. Um, So this die has a whole different function. We're controlling the depth at which the the projectile will be seated into the case. Yes. Um, so same thing. It's already preset. Uh, not out of the box. I had to set it. So for those of you listening, uh, one of these dies do not come preset out of the box. And you, you just set twist. that. Yep. Just set it in. It's a quarter turn. It comes out. Drop it in. And you set that seating depth by just toying with it and yep. checking with a micrometer until it matched. Yep. For right now, by the way, for the folks listening as well, I know we've li- we talked to Ryan Hay, we talked to Tony and and Nick and those guys, and they they suggested the whole process of going through and really fine tuning a load. Right now, what we're actually just going to do semi live for you is just essentially try and copy yep. the factory load. Correct. That's that's our first step. So basically, you adjusted seating depth, played around with this until when you measured it with a micrometer, it measured essentially what Hornady said precisely to do. Yep. Okay. Um, so very excited about that. This is the first time I've used this die set, um, which I've actually had in cellophane for a long time. Thankfully, this podcast came up and we had a reason for it. Uh, really nice dies; these match match grades. So we're in this. We're in the powdering and seating process. Um, everybody's going to have their own kind of, uh, I think, process with this. 
I guess the way I, I like to do it, I don't like to powder a bunch of cases and then seed a bunch of bullets. Oh, okay. What I like to do is powder case, seed a bullet, powder case, seed a bullet. And the reason for that is if, if you can imagine, let's say we get 36 of these powdered up and I'm bringing my little powder pan over here and I like doop, spill a bunch of kernels into powder. We've just wasted however long it took us to powder those 36 cases because did I spill extra in there? Yeah. Am I about to create an unsafe situation? So for, for me personally, I like to powder a case and then seat the bullet. Okay. Um, Let me ask this also, Ryan. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about humidity and mm-hmm. excuse me, different atmospheric elements. Oh, yeah, Tony mentioned yeah. that. Could there be a risk of, like, if you took the time to powder all these cases and left them in a maybe a more humid environment, would you be compromising yeah. it? Or is that not enough No, time? Cer- certainly. I mean, it, I'm not a chemist, so I can't really tell you how fast powder absorbs sure, up. right. Uh, great question for the folks at the powder companies. Call them up um, and ask them. I would, I'd be inclined to say yes if you are going to have a volume of powder exposed to, you know, ambient air. Yeah, you could attract yeah, enough like moisture. Like if you're reloading in the bathroom and you get the shower on, it's kind of warm and the fan's not running quite, and everything's kind of getting misty and humid. Yeah, yeah. Free, you're trying right. to save time though. I mean, I get it. Right, I get it. Hey, been there. Use your <laughs> right. left arm to lather and your right arm to actuate the to press. Actuate yeah. The press. yeah. <laughs> Outside the shower curtain. <laughs> it's kind of like one of those European bathrooms where the, the toilet is really actually in the shower and you can all, you can just kind of... Yeah. Certainly not a water fountain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this cute little brush that comes in the Frankfurt thing. Yeah. That's pretty neat. You're brushing for, your extra. brushing things. Okay. okay. I see the powder funnel. Yeah. Which powder is funnel. actually... Glad you brought that out because it saved me some questions here. Okay. So, so Yeah. A couple of things I'll encourage people who are listening to this thinking about getting into reloading. Buy as many cartridge case blocks as you can fit in your cart. Um, so we oh, have these little red yeah. things that all the cartridges or so cases we, are sitting in neck up right now. We have one, um, which means that when we go and like finish our process here and seed our bullets, oh, right. we're going to have to put our loaded ammunition into something. I'm embarrassed to say this. Oh, wait, hold on. We know we got that gray thing. Hey, MC Ryan, would you mind grabbing that oh, little gray box yes. over there next to the Tipton Best Gun Vice? Actually, sorry, it's the it's the semi-clear one behind the powder uh, there. Yes. Score, MTMK scarred. Thank goodness. We were thinking a little bit. Thank ahead. you so much. This is so, so have something to put your loaded cases Correct. in so they're not just not jingling just really around nilly. like loose change and... Yeah, in your change cup holder. That's it. So, without further ado, let's let's switch back to the yes, IntelliDropper. To intelligent thing. So, we've decided that we're going to load 41 and a half grains of IMR's H43, excuse me, Hodgins H4350, not to be confused with IMR4350, it's different powder. Um H4350, very popular powder with the 65 Creedmoor crowd and a lot of those other similar cases. Uh, I love this powder. I've loaded a ton of it, especially in, in cases similar to this. Uh, not the 6.5. This is actually my first time loading 6.5 Creedmoor, believe it or not. Wait, what? Yep, never loaded it. I no. thought we got like an expert. Smell that. It smells like apples. It does smell just like apples. Yep. You made up for the fact that you've never done this I don't this think before. it smells like apples. Oh, well, Mark, I guess you're going to be loading like your own a, ambition. Yeah, well, you're from Seattle, so Salt. your <laughs> senses are all screwed up from all that rain. Oh, my God. <laughs> so a couple things if you're using a powder dropper like this, and I've made this mistake probably 50 times, make sure that the powder dump funnel or the little tubey is closed because if it's open, you spill powder up. And do not scoop powder off your bench and put it in. That is dead powder. Spray it with a misting bottle and vacuuming it up with your shop vac. It's over. 
So we're gonna over. We're gonna pour this in here. That's your basically ejection port for port powder that you haven't used. Correct down there. So okay, now, make sure it's closed. How much powder do you just eyeball it? You're like, oh, well, that's about good for. There's a thing. To, there's a thing to this. I don't. I don't just eyeball it. I think that having a little more weight on the powder column above the tube oh, is sure. going to help. Is going to help with metering. Um, I've I've seen this. I don't know if I've necessarily proved it to myself in the past, but it's happened enough times where if my powder column in my hopper is low, it throws slower. It doesn't meter as nice. Um, that could be dependent on the type of powder. This powder is an extruded powder. You can see it's like a, a short little section of noodle. Uh, or rod. Yeah. Um, it meters pretty well. There are powders that meter worse. There are powders that meter better. I think a little bit more weight up there is a good thing. It's going to keep things moving. So with this particular powder Within measure... your uh, Traeger, you make sure you got enough wood pellets. In yeah, there. exactly, right. which are an extruded pellet. Mm -hmm. Same thing. This thing actually is kind of like a little Traeger auger. It makes delicious things. Mm -hmm. Once this is done, so um, this, is, this is the majority of the commercially available digital dispensers on the market. You would select your grain weight, uh, in this one, we're going to go 41.5, and we can see below here the target is 41.5. True, true. We're stable. We're going to hit play. And it's loading the tube. Okay. And out comes the goodness. It is ejecting powder at this moment in time. It's going a little... Try not to bump anything, right? Right. It's going a little slow right now. I didn't calibrate it for it today. I, I calibrated it the other day. I actually thought it would have been going a little bit faster. Um, and it might get uh, it might get there. We'll see. So boom, we're at forty one five. That's it. It's that simple. It did it all itself. Yep. And so I take it and we pour it in the powder funnel. Yep. We make sure it all fiddles down there. The pan is empty, and voila, we're back on. Now this is where, like I said, I like to seat a bullet. So I move my powder funnel to the next case to be right, primed. Right. I also do have this in manual mode. I do. I'm sorry, Jim. Would you, wait, what's wrong with So if, it, if it's an auto mode, it, it just automatically begins dispensing the powder when you set it down. Whoa! Yeah. So you've now put the uh, powdered case inside the... What is it? What? Shell I'm, holder. I'm trying to remember all these names. Shell, shell holder. holder. Okay, shell holder. And that's on the... Uh, it's in the shell holder. Yep. You have a bullet. I do. You're holding it in your fingers. I am. Is this we, actually going to happen right this now? This is going to happen. So a couple things. I took the priming arm out before we started this because I don't want to run the risk of somehow touching that, that primer because now yeah, we have... Get, come wait, in here, boys. Should we get an boys, eye level up. or is this... Is... Um, we can get an eye level if someone was coming for oh, a we tight shot. We recommended Ryan Hay safety glasses. Um, sure. Safety yeah. glasses is not a bad idea. Why don't you ask him if he's... If he, did he say he uses safety glasses? Oh, Mark, he, he said he does. Mark stepped on his Mark cord. just stepped on his cord. Yeah, see, they're really, the cords are really... They haven't been an issue until just now. So... We have a powdered case. We have a projectile. Everything is good. Here's what I do. I set the bullet on there. I slowly bring it up. I touch it. I pull it back down, and I visually inspect. See how it straightened that oh, out? Wait, yeah. mm -hmm. Oh, you didn't even like. You didn't even do it yet. You nope. Just like... I just made sure it's centered. And the reason for that is okay. I don't want to just run that thing up there all willy-nilly because you have the potential for causing run-out by forcing it in there all funny-like. So I'm going to bring it up, and here's what I'm going to do. You're going to feel slight resistance. I'm going to go about halfway up. I'm going to pull it down. I'm going to rotate it. I'm going to go back in, and I'm going to seat it. And then that's oh. it. So that is a loaded cartridge. Look at that. And now, it is, it is one of the most rewarding things. So what I'm going to do then is I've, I've got a comparator here. This is a, a device that's used to, to measure 
the depth that we've seeded to. Now, one thing I'll, I'll tell you is this. The comparator is an, an, an additional option from Hornady, and there's a couple other companies out there that make them too. And it doesn't measure from the, the case head to the tip of the, the projectile because that can have a considerable variance depending on the tip style or like if you're shooting hollow point bullets, depending on if their meat plats have been trimmed. So this actually measures to the ogive of the bullet. So what I did previously when we were off air is I, I mocked up a round. Okay. And I, I set it up to Hornady spec. So this is a non-loaded cartridge. And if I measure it, I can see that on our oh, indicator yeah. here, uh, we're at 3.295 to the ogive. And if you... Uh hang out on our Instagram very often. The main Vortex page, we played Instagram Jeopardy not long ago, and that was a trivia question. What is the... what The ogive being the curved looking section of the front of the bullet before you get to the tip. Yep. Right? So you're measuring off that rather than the polymer tip. Correct. And this one is 3.295. Nice. Presto. One thing I'll tell you, and important about seeding depths on primers, if your primer is proud, it's going to throw that measurement off, right? Because your primer is going to interact with your, your, your dial caliper. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so make sure your primer does. Another little backup. And that's Check. it. That's our loaded cartridge. The, the, the case has been set. These dies, the resizing dies, use a, a special thing called a, a, a neck collet. That, uh, or actually, it's a bushing that sizes the neck to the appropriate tension. I measured a bunch of factory Hornady ammo. I found out what that is. For those listening, it's the .288 call it. Um, anyway, uh, that's it. That's a loaded cartridge. We're done. What would happen? We've done it. We made one, everybody. Brian, what would happen if, let's say, you measured that yep. and you go, "Oh, she's a little long." And then you realized, "Oh, it's because my primer is a little proud." At that point in time. Uh, I'm done with that case for a while. I pull it. We use an impact bullet puller. I pop the bullet out. I dump the powder, which shouldn't be contaminated. You should be able to salvage it. I kill the primer. I then knock that primer. I let the case dry. I reprime it. I repowder it. I reseat the bullet. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Resize, too. Excuse me. If you pull a bullet out of a case, that case neck is partially expanded. You've lost neck tension. So don't just pull so a bullet. So you got to do the whole Yep. Thing. Yep. You're just about pretty Square much all one. over. Correct, yeah. I mean, at that point in time, you're looking at your brasses and your bullet, which is salvage, is the two most expensive components. Again, your primer should, or excuse me, your powder should be okay. The primer is three cents. Call it a loss. Yeah. It's it's not worth sticking a bullet in your barrel with a contaminated primer uh, or powder charge. Just, you know, make do. Make a new round. It's okay. That's why they make more powder and more bullets. So let's move along. So you guys get the gist of it, right? Do you yeah. want to see me do one more? Or you want to jump in? I'm going to jump in. Mark, do it. Okay. So Marco, Mark's going to do this take thing. the tray. Grab it by the little. See how it's got oh. the. Yep. Oh, the handle. The yep. Thing and try not fingers. to. Don't bump the stem in which the powder comes out. Like I just did. Which you just did. Okay. That's okay. No powder came out. And just slowly dump it in there. Shazam. Okay. It's all good. Carefully seat that back on the uh, the old tray there. Well done, well done, Mark. You'd think Mark's in the Hurt Locker right now. <laughs> you would think he's diffusing so, a bomb. So you're going to take you're going to take the funnel and you're going to move it over to the next one. Oh, that's how we keep track of things. Yep. So now we're not going to double charge inadvertently, which you couldn't. You'd spill powder all over. And you're oh, going yeah, to care. Boy, she's full. Yeah, you're going to carefully walk yeah. behind me not to spill any of that powder. It's funny because it just doesn't look like so incredibly much, but. And you're going to slip it into the shell holder. As is, right? As I is. I don't have to... Yep. Yeah. Okay. okay. You're going to grab a, a projectile from the box. 
one. Now, do we have to be careful about how much we handle this bullet now? Yeah, too, yep. So if you get if you've got oil and contaminants in your hand, you get it on the bullet. That can goof with some stuff too. So try to orient it in there as square as possible. Okay, and remember the that first initial thing is it's just like a touch. I'm just touching it to the seating stem inside of the die. Like I've got it. I feel like that's pretty crooked. Do I need to straighten that out? Nope, you're okay. It'll guide it. The dies are very intelligently designed. So just run it up. And you're going to feel a slight stop. Oh, you can already see it straightening yep. down. Just so saw it right there. Did you feel that stop? I mean, I, I finally felt it hit. Yeah. Okay. I how much straighter it is, Mark. Yep. Okay. So we're good. So okay. now you're going to run it up. And like I said, I like to run it halfway. So nice, even pressure when you're going up. And what would be halfway? I wasn't paying. So like just at what angle does this become halfway? Out here. Okay. Yeah. So you'll feel resistance now. Okay. And bring it down. Okay. And back it out. And now I like to give it a half rotation. This is just what I call a skull component. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. I but not think it moved that much, component. Ryan. Uh, you didn't get enough resistance. Go up a little bit more. So tell me when you feel resistance. Right now. Okay, push. Okay, bring it out. Rotate halfway. There we go. So a skull component, a thing that lives in your head. It's a thing for your head. And then, Ryan. All the way down. Wait, what? And it'll cam over and everything mm -hmm. again? Mm -hmm. Loaded round. Marco, first loaded round. First one. Look there at it that. It is. So now we want to check it on the comparator. Yes. World, I would like all of you to note the fact that Mark's first loaded round okay. was, in fact, a 6.5 Creedmoor and not a 300 Wisdom. Not my. It's almost as though we've tricked him into doing it. I'm being held against my will. <laughs> so for, anybody, for anybody out there who's listening, we're going to run that up. I'm other direction. I'm also going to state this is the first time Mark has ever run a dial caliper. And it shows. He's doing his best. Okay, now we want to make sure that this is seated square, so you're going to have to manipulate the round. Okay. And we want it to be butted up I there feel, square. I don't know why I feel like I need to, like, touch it as little as possible. Okay, and kind of, we're going to do what's called a bounce. I'll show you the bounce here real quick. A bounce. Yep, so we're just going to take it, and we're just going to bounce it around. Where are we reading? 3.295. Look at that. Mark loaded a perfect 6.5 Creedmoor cartridge. Mark, you done good, man. You done good. Did you want to put your name on it? <laughs> you may you may want to mark it for safety reasons. Um, James. All right. Let's get in here. Let's so, again, we're going to be careful not to hit the stem that dispenses powder. Perfect. Okay. We're going to dump it into that little doohickey. That's such a satisfying Easy. sound. That is a good sound. Very set good it back sound. on the deal and then push the play button when ready. Press play. All right. Uh, for those of you watching, this is so intense. This is so wonderful. This is super though. intense. I'm so excited. Which way for all of you who are considering getting into reloading, I hope I hope you know. Perhaps you might be listening to Ryan narrating Mark and I, and the fact that we look like we're trying to figure out whether we need to cut the green wire or the red wire. And uh, but I I hope that you all have as exciting of an experience as we are having now. Reloading our first rounds. So now I'm just going down. Till you touch. Okay, I just touched okay. it. Okay, pull it out. Should be straight in there. Heck yeah. Now bring it back up. All right, bring it back up. I hope you all have this exciting of an experience. You feel that resistance? And resistance. Push. Yep. Now take it back down. Give it a little rotation. Again, Ryan's skull component may not be required for success. <laughs> little, a little whoopsie-doo and a push down until she cams over. Boom. And we don't want to put a ton of downforce on it. We just want to bring it to the bottom, all just right, like that. Right. Ta-da. So bullet nose gets inserted into the silvery part here. Okay. There we go. Run around up. 
Give her a bounce, make sure it's good and square. I can already see this is a winner, winner chicken dinner here. Now, hold on. Not quite. Well, let's move it around a little bit. Let's see what happens. Yeah, when in doubt, just, oh, wait, no, it wasn't square. There we go. Now it's square. But still, look at that. Does that mean I push it in a little bit more? Because I did put more force on so it. So we're, we're about a thou off. A thou off. Yes, which is, What's that going to mean? Not much. You can give it one more little runny up into the die. Is that, that could be, Would that mean that I didn't push it down far enough or that I um, I would doubt that that little tiny bit would, would mean that, but we'll run it up. And again, we don't want to put a ton of downward pressure when we get to the bottom. Just where it stops. Okay? Let's try it again. That's it? All right. Yep. Um, it could mean a number of things. It could mean that the tip is slightly deflected on this round. It could mean that the primer pocket is just a little bit, or the primer is a little bit proud. I'm going to call that a win. Oh, look at that. Yeah, now it went back down to the normal, yeah. what is it, three point what? 3.295. 295. Yep. Loaded ammunition, gentlemen. Look at that. That's it. Very wow. rewarding. The lot. we just do that whole thing a bunch of times, huh? Yep. Now, are there any, are there any, okay, so let's say we rip out these 48 here, right? And then we move on to the next lot of 50. Is there any like uh, general maintenance items that you need to do when you're reloading? Oh, like like, question, change, like yeah. changing your oil every 3,000 miles or 5,000 miles or whatever. Is there anything where it's like, yeah, every 500 rounds you should tweak this, get a new that uh, consumable or whatever? I Does try to keep sense? my dies pretty clean for the most part. They stay clean, so I, I don't have a lot of maintenance to do on them. But keep in mind that lubrication is going to build up over time. Okay. It's going to attract dirt and crud and junk. Um, so clean your dyes. Um, that's one thing. How do you clean them? You put them in like a like, so just I, like with soap and water. Uh, you can, yeah, hot soap and, and like dish, dish soap, soap does a really good job. Especially like I said, I use that lanolin, mm -hmm. um, and that it gets cakey after time. Hot water and dish soap um, does a good job. Uh, I then compressed air, clean them, and then actually I clean them with alcohol and to make sure that I displace all the water in it, okay. um, and then let them dry completely. Lubricate your your uh, press parts too, the moving parts there. Any camming surface that's going to have metal on metal contact, like this right here, yep. or like uh, like where are you. So the ram itself, the shaft as it goes up yep. through the frame, the mm -hmm. actual. When you're saying the ram, you're talking about like these guys down here and your yep. handle. Yep. Anywhere where you're going to have articulation or moving parts, keep that well lubricated. What do you? Okay, here's a question for yeah. you. Yeah. When people say keep things lubricated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see this all the time in automotive stuff, mm -hmm. right? They're like, yeah, throw so throw some lube on it, throw some oil on it. And then, I mean, there's like a bazillion kinds of oil in the yep. world. What kind of lubricant are you using? I use G96 because I have bottles of it handy. G, what's that? It's the world's greatest gun cleaner, triple action. All right. G96. Cleans, lubricates, right. protects. So, okay, so it's pretty, you don't have to use anything complex. No, I don't. All right, cool. Um, so, I mean, is that, I mean, I guess that sounds like it's accomplishing several things for you then? Or? Yeah, yeah. Another thing too, notice the like the little specks of dirt and crud there underneath yeah. it. So when you deprime, you know you're knocking out your primer cup as well as the anvil. And a lot of times the anvil will separate, so you can hold an empty cup in the anvil, and then you're going to get little bits of like foil and priming compound and crud and unburnt stuff. Yeah, here's an anvil right yeah. now. It's see, it gets dirty really quick. Sounds I like to vacuum that up pretty often. I try to empty my primer uh, collection tray there as much as possible. And when you're I, actually vacuuming the apparatus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I clean all that up as much as I can because it gets in everything, and then inevitably you drop a bunch of them and step on them, and it feels like you step on a Lego except worse. But, no, it's, I mean, it's like anything. Any metal components that you would want to preserve, um, keep them rust-free, uh, lubricate them, oil them. Don't get oil inside your dies. Of course, we talked about that earlier because you get that hydro locking. 
keep your powder containers closed. I calibrate my scales quite a bit. Um, try to keep a tidy workspace like everything. You know, you would. You don't want a dirty surgical table. You don't want a dirty reloading table. But there's not a ton of maintenance items to be required. You're not, re- okay. you're not resharpening things. You're not... Is it, yeah, not like uh, consumables where it's, yeah, this not is only really. good for 200 rounds and then you got to change it out. Not really, no. I, I mean, on some of the higher volume reloading equipment, like a Dillon 650, there are things that do wear out that you will have to change. But, well, but then you're also doing way more. Yeah, yeah. On, on my RCBS has remained unchanged except for the addition of a skylight kit so I can see into my cases and then that Hornady quick release system. I, that's the only thing I've done to it, and I've had it since I was like that press since I was 16. <laughs> so but it's been a while. That's it. That's loading ammo. Mark. I like it. We've loaded ammo. 46 more to no excuse me 45 more to go at this point in time let's uh let's make some things that go bang and send tiny projectiles very far distances yeah yeah so next time you all listen to us we'll be shooting ammunition that we've actually loaded ourselves i like it i never really thought it was that big of a deal until i actually did it myself and now i feel pretty accomplished it's a good feeling all right well Oh, I already basically did the sign out. Yeah. Should have just ended on that. Next time you hear from us, we'll be shooting this ammunition that we've hand-loaded ourselves. Oh, that was way better. We'll go with that one. Cool. All right. Bye, everybody. See you. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field. Or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.